motion. Secretary Murowitz, will you call the roll? Yes. Commissioner Chung? Present. Commissioner Christian? Present. Commissioner Dorado? Present. Commissioner Green? Present. Commissioner Guillermo? Present. Wonderful. Well, before we start the agenda, I have an announcement to make. Our president, Dan Bernal, who has led this commission since 2020 through the pandemic, through the Laguna Honda recertification, has been appointed to be the vice chancellor of community and government relations at UCSF. We are so thrilled for Dan. He is the most wonderful person. We will really miss him here. But of course, due to the conflict of interest that that position would pose for him as health commission president or member, he resigned yesterday, October 16th. And I will not be able to fill those shoes, but I'll certainly do my best to lead the commission until the next uh, officer meeting, um, which elections, which are usually in March. So um, we really thank Dan for his service and hopefully we'll have more to say about that at another meeting. So we will start with the land acknowledgement and I believe Chris, Commissioner Chris, Christian is going to read it. Thank you. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatusha Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you very much. The next item on the agenda is the approval of the minutes of the Health Commission meeting of October 3rd, 2023. You have them before you and upon review, are there any amendments or corrections? Okay, hearing none, is there a motion to approve? Motion to approve. Second? Second. And what about public comment? Yes, I see a hand. Is there anyone that, there's no one in the room because only staff. Um, Asus, please unmute the caller. And I actually, before you meet, before you and uh, you start speaking, caller, I have a script to read. For each agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for members of the public to engage in back and forth conversation with commissioners. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DPH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at the following email address. The word health dot, the word commission dot, D like dog, P like Paul, H at sfdph.org. If you wish to spell your name for the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. We will first take public comment from individuals attending the meeting in person. We will then take remote public comment from individuals who have received an accommodation for a disability. All right. Um, thank you for your patience. Caller, um, please let us know that you're there. I am. It's Patrick Manetshaw, code AA. All right. You've got three minutes, Mr. Manetshaw. Thank you. These minutes report Dr. Terry Palmer, I, and others 
have repeatedly raised the issue of what the long-term plans are to prevent recurrence of mismanagement of Laguna Honda. During the Commission's Finance and Planning Subcommittee meeting on September 5th, Commissioner Guillermo asked whether HSAG's contract will need to be extended when it expires at the end of August next year. Baljeet Sangha responded saying, quote, Laguna Honda will likely need HSAG services for monitoring and evaluation and prepping for ongoing regulatory surveys, end quote. Laguna Honda staff has for years been able to prepare for those surveys. You should not need HSAG uh, to have an extended contract. Sanghart also stated, noted that the cadence of work will likely change to quarterly check-ins after the duration of HSAG's current contract, end quote, expires in August 2024. The Health Commission already appears to be considering extending HSAG's contract for an additional period of time. Well, SHAG's the permanent vehicle for increasing oversight of Laguna Honda, well, additional HSAG contracts at $10 million annually into the foreseeable future be the only mechanism to ensure greater oversight to prevent future mismanagement repeating itself Thank you. All right, that is the only public comment, Commissioners. All right, we're he hearing another. Is there a vote to approve? All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Okay, that passes. Wonderful. Our next item is a resolution honoring Michelle Fouts. We're so happy to have her and uh, Secretary Morowitz, do you want to read our wonderful resolution? Oh, yes, actually, um, I, I believe there's going to be an introduction, and then I will read the resolution, and then you all Perfect. Hello, Commissioners. Uh, my name is David Smith. I'm the Chief Pharmacy Officer for San Francisco Department of Public Health, and it is, it is my joy and my sorrow to introduce this resolution uh, for Dr. Michelle Fouts, who's been with DPH uh, over 25 years, and I will just say from... Uh, Colleagues, she no one could have earned more respect and admiration for her dedication, both to patients across all of DPH, but really the, the residents at Laguna have just their health and well-being have just been immeasurably improved by her presence and dedication. So thank you for taking the time to honor her with this resolution. Thank you. And now I'll read the draft resolution. Whereas Michelle Fouts, PharmD, has served the city and county of San Francisco as an exceptional leader and clinician at Laguna Honda Hospital for over 25 years. And whereas during Dr. Fouts' tenure, she served as a clinical pharmacist, pharmacy supervisor, director of pharmacy at Laguna Honda Hospital, and chief pharmacy informatics officer for DPH. And whereas Dr. Fouts has inspired a generation of interpersonal, I'm sorry, interprofessional trainees across several disciplines by serving as a role model for compassionate, equitable, resident-centered care and collaborative interdisciplinary teamwork, 
And whereas Dr. Fouts has been an exceptional, uh, an exceptional clinician and leader in all of her roles at Laguna Honda Hospital. With her intelligence, compassion, and collaboration, she's been a model for how to pair clinical excellence with humility and doing so while bringing a smile to those around her. And whereas Dr. Fouts has worked tirelessly to improve the lives of Laguna Honda Hospital residents by leading innovations in pharmaceutical healthcare and technology and by supporting residents' emotional health and well-being through the medical clown and other projects. And whereas Dr. Fouts has partnered effectively with medicine, nursing, information technology, facilities, and other disciplines to incorporate innovative technology solutions and information systems such as EPIC to improve the care of DPH residents and patients. And whereas Dr. Fouts has cultivated a collaborative and inclusive environment throughout the San Francisco Health Network, using her infectious enthusiasm, keen intellect, and embrace of innovation to improve and optimize medication management for all patients. And whereas Dr. Fouts has been the model of mission-driven mission clinician, ensuring the humility of her patients is paramount. The health and happiness of Laguna Honda residents and staff have benefited from her generosity, courage, and commitment. Resolved that the San Francisco Health Commission honors Dr. Michelle Fouts for her outstanding service and leadership and many contributions to the health and well-being of San Franciscans. Thank you very much. So I guess we will entertain a motion to approve the resolution. Is there a motion to approve? So moved. Second. And everybody's very enthusiastic here. So we'll start with any public comment. Uh, let's see. I do see a hand. I, there's no one in the room. Um, please unmute the caller. Caller, you've got three minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Morowitz. It's Patrick again. Dr. Michelle Fouts certainly deserves this resolution honoring her years of service to vulnerable San Franciscans. When I worked with her closely at Laguna Honda, she was widely respected by all of Laguna Honda's staff, particularly by clinicians working in Laguna Honda's Rehabilitation Services Department. She was often instrumental in uh, assisting with dosing medications adjustment to prevent patients at risk of falls and falls-related injuries. And the rehab staff certainly ex uh, appreciated her skills and experience helping those patients. I also commend her for years of dedication serving Laguna Honda's residents. Congratulations to her on her assumed or apparent retirement. Best wishes, Michelle. Thank you. I'd like to note that's unprecedented that Mr. Manette Shaw uh, <laughs> threw out so many positive comments. <laughs> anyway, yes, please, commissioners. And um, Commissioner Green, Commissioner Chow has noted that he will need special um, uh, dispensation to speak and to vote. So I'll, I'll remind you of that when we're going through. Well, maybe we can, um, I, th I think um, acting CEO, Mr. Pickens may want to say a few words and then we can maybe go to Dr. Chow for the first comments. That's great. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner. Uh, I also want to add my thanks to Michelle. She's been a great leader at Laguna Honda and DPH. I think when she started her career, 
There were no uh, automated packaging or dispensing of medications at Laguna. It was all done by hand. Mm -hmm. She has personally overseen the automation of pharmaceutical services at Laguna, and uh, which has led to a, a much higher degree of accuracy and safety. And so as the resolution says, she's truly improved the quality of care at Laguna. Uh, she also was one of the key DPH leaders in the implementation of our EPIC uh, system-wide EHR. And it, that project could not have gone as smoothly and as well as it did without her contributions. So just want to add my thanks and gratitude. Thank you. All right, how about uh, Commissioner Chow? We'll give you the floor. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity also to join in uh, thanking Michelle for all her work. I've watched her all these years. And uh, Mr. Pickens has actually already described uh, again uh, and verbally here the amount of work that she has put in. Uh, the uh, transformation at Laguna for its pharmacy uh, occurred even before the recertification and was uh, certainly within compliance to all of the different surveys we have had and the pharmacy department, I recall, and all the different state surveys has always been uh, uh, a, a very positive experience. So thank you, Michelle, and congratulations and enjoy your uh, next activities. Thank you. Other commissioners? Commissioner Guillermo. I just want to add my thanks and congratulations to Dr. Fouts um, as a member of the Laguna Honda JCC. Um, I think throughout my tenure uh, there, I, you know, I, I know we've relied on you so much, uh, not just for um, the times when the JCC has asked for your input and your explanation, your clarification on matters before us, but in general, knowing that you were you were behind the scenes, and I guess in front of the scenes, we didn't know, really taking care of the business of Laguna Honda and everything that everybody has uh, spoken uh, about uh, with you. And I, I wish you well. Um, I hope that uh, we can continue to find leaders like yourself, dedicated clinicians, uh, not just to of, uh, Laguna Honda, but to the whole of San Francisco. Thank you again. Thank you. Well, I guess, I, I, may I just say one thing? Yeah. Well, I'm the last member of the JCC at Laguna to speak. And I think, um, you know, I do remember back in the day when everything was done by hand, what Mr. Pickens said, um, you, you just can't imagine how the field of pharmacy have been, has been revolutionized in your tenure. And you know, so many people in their career top out you know, they kind of get stuck with what they know. And yet when you think about all the really evolution and revolution in your field that has happened during this incredible career you've had and how at each step you have not only risen to the occasion, but you've become a subject matter expert who has guided others through this vast array of changes that have happened. And it's really remarkable when I first joined the JCC, and of course we hear reports from various individuals but it was so clear every time you were involved, the amount of respect that you had earned, um, the way people looked to you as a leader. And it, it was so apparent that, that you know, in a way, the pharmacy is the hub of the care team. You really can set the culture of an institution. And 
never mind the complexity of drugs. What were there, like 5% of the drugs? I mean, not only has the um, population of Laguna become much more complicated um, than it was when you first started, I'm sure, but just the plethora of medications, just to learn about one new medication is like an incredible amount of work, let alone being the person that has to educate others and teach others and find all of the drug, drug, drug interactions and the pitfalls involved in all of this. So you have been absolutely remarkable. I hope at a minimum you'll spend some time in retirement teaching because you could teach leadership, you can teach pharmacy, you can teach compassion, and you, you have been absolutely terrific. So we, we will really miss you, and we are so grateful to you for all that you've contributed. So I, I, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you. Uh, and, and now I should give the floor to Director Colfax. Thank you, President Green and Michelle. Just want to express my direct uh, gratitude to you, and on behalf of the department, also your work has just been so exemplary. And through COVID, um, and through the Laguna Honda Medicaid recertification process, your team has been so pivotal and so important. And um, I was. Uh, able to visit you and your team several times <laughs> in the last uh, in, 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 the, in the last uh, year or so. And uh, one of the things that just so impressed me was it became apparent as, as soon as you walked through those pharmacy doors, how your support of your team really is, is, is evident and the enthusiasm, the problem solving, the can-do attitude and the commitment to continuous quality improvements um, was was very much part of, of of that culture there. And just want to thank you. I think I, I say this to to people when they transition to other things that the true the true mark of a great leader is the team that you that you lead behind to continue your work. And I want to thank you very much for that. Thank you. So, Dr. Fouts, would you like to step up and say a few words? We'd love to hear from you and what your what your thinking is, your plans are. Sure. Uh, first, I, I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, I I came to DPH. I didn't plan to stay for twenty five plus years, but it has uh, been a great honor and a privilege to work within this organization and to have so many different opportunities. You know, to do the the IT stuff um, as well as as uh, I. I I tell my wife, you know, I'm I'm a big fish in a small pond. Even though Laguna Honda is big, we're really we're the small guys, um, and it's uh, it, it's just been a great joy, a great pleasure, and I'm trying to enjoy these last couple of weeks as I walk through the halls and connect with people and and hear stories that you know we've gone through, including that when I first started. Um, Laguna Honda was under DOJ investigation. So in some ways we've come full circle or, but, um, and I had hoped that our recertification would be complete. In fact, Grant told me at one point that it must be before I could leave. Um, but I think we are well on our way. And so thank you for this honor and uh, recognition. And um, I'm just, I'm so proud to be a part of the Department of Public Health in San Francisco. So keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Well, and now a vote needs to occur. And, okay. uh, and, and Dr. Fouts, I'm going to give you a copy of the framed 
thing and there'll be a photo op. So please stay for a second. All right. So we will now take a vote. All in favor of the resolution honoring Michelle Fats, please say aye. 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 And uh, Commissioner Chow. Aye. All right. Thank you, sir. I see unanimous. And commissioners, would you step forward so you can get a picture? All righty, say cheese or Laguna Honda. So the next item on the agenda is general public comment and Secretary Morowitz will read a statement. Yes. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. And then um, all the information I read about the other agenda items also pertains. Let's see, uh, anyone in the room? No one in the room. And we've got one hand. So please, just please um, unmute the caller. Uh, yeah, hi, Richard. Richard Patrick again, Mr. Morwood. You've got three minutes, Mr. Manetchaw. Thank you. I also want to congratulate Ben Bernal on his new job at UTSF. However, as Congresswoman Pelosi's chief of staff, Bernal always seemed to have an unstated conflict of interest serving on this commission. So it's sort of good hearing that he has finally resigned. Thank you. All right, that's the only comment on this uh, item. The next item is the director's report. Director Colfax. Good afternoon, President Green and commissioners. You have the director's report in front of you. I will highlight uh, a few of the items and then answer any questions you might have. First item is that DPH was pleased to host a conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci at ZSFG. We were honored to host him on October 5th, 2023, where Dr. Fauci um, provided uh, uh, his overview and perspectives and lessons learned uh, from the COVID-19 pandemic and generously spent a lot of time with uh, staff in answering questions and also taking one or two photos uh, with people. And we really did everything we could to make sure that at this event we had a wide a range of people who worked hard on COVID from the health department uh, present. And we were also able to live stream the event where I believe we had more than 700 people uh, watch the event. So very pleased to have Do Dr. Fauci and very honored to have him spend time with us uh, earlier uh, this month. 
In other news, um, mid-year uh, mid budget update, uh, the economic reality of San Francisco is such that the mayor has determined that we cannot wait till next year um, for the budget process to begin um, and therefore instructed uh, the city departments to propose reductions of at least 3% of the general fund to support uh, the current fiscal year. Uh, for DPH, this means identifying uh, approximately $26 million in additional revenues or savings in the current year by October 26. So we will be following those instructions and submitting that uh, to, to the mayor's office. As always, DPH will work to avoid service reductions um, as much as possible and to maximize revenues. And we will update the commission on our response to this request and keep you informed as the budget process uh, unfolds this year. Item three, I'm really pleased to say that Laguna Honda receives a certificate of excellence. Um, the California Department of Public Health Care Associated Infections Program and Health Services Advisory Group, it's a long title, uh, recently recognized uh, DPH Laguna Honda Hospital for successfully completing all four uh, virtual infection prevention control train the trainer train the trainer workshops. Over 2,700 individuals attend the work workshops representing 650 California nursing homes and uh, the hospital Laguna Honda was in the top 7% uh, that completed all four sessions. So really pleased to have that large participation in this very important uh, training program. Um, and then we, uh, as, as, as part of our environmental health uh, branch, uh, we participated in many uh, community events and trainings throughout the year. And most recently, San Francisco, the San Francisco Housing Development Corporation sponsored a workshop called Minding My Black Owned Business. This workshop's focus was on food safety for people wanting to open or manage a business that serves food to the public. And um, the San Francisco Housing Department Corporation reached out to partner with Environmental Health, which enforces the California Retail Food Code to ensure that people understood um, how to be code compliant in, uh, in this work. So a nice uh, uh, collaboration with SF Housing uh, there. We continue uh, to partner with Opportunities for All and FACES to provide job experiences and internships for San Francisco youth, which we know are an important part of our talent pipeline that we continue to um, invest in and to promote because uh, today's youth interested in public health are future DPH employees. So we wanna continue to encourage that as well. And then uh, just as a COVID-19 update, our seven day rolling average of COVID test positivity is 3.7%. There are currently 38 uh, people uh, with COVID hospitalized across the city. You'll note that both those numbers are down from just a few weeks ago when we were um, in a bit of a, a solid increase in cases. And uh, the new COVID uh, vaccine is here um, in the city. We were delayed in getting a public um, vaccine, uh, vaccine available to our public sites. We do now have that demand is high. We are asking the state uh, for more supplies because um, we, we, the demand is, is, is quite high right now and we don't have enough supply. So we're continuing to advocate uh, for more for, for our community um, and our community partners in, in that regard, our community sites and our community partners. You have the DPH in the news link there as well. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Now, thank you for the report. Is there any public comment on the director's report? I don't see any hands, folks. We are on item five. If you'd like to make comment, please press star three if you're remote. I don't see anybody in the room. 
I see no comments. Oh, uh, please uh, turn on your microphone. Sorry, any questions or comments from the commissioners? I see Commissioner Chow's hand up. Oh, yeah, thank you. And, and uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to participate virtually and thank the city for that. Um, and, and I wanted to really thank uh, Dr. Colfax for sending the uh, uh, Fauci uh, presentation. It was really outstanding. I, I had uh, the opportunity to, to uh, view it and, and really uh, uh, found him very inspiring. We were very fortunate during that period of time to have such an outstanding leader. So thank you, uh, Dr. Colfax, for arranging uh, such a uh, wonderful uh, seminar with, uh, with uh, us here in San Francisco. Thank you. I guess if there are no other comments or questions, we will move on to the next item, which is Laguna Honda Hospital Rehabilitation uh, Center closure plan and CMS recertification update. Uh, Mr. Pickens. Good afternoon again, commissioners. Thank you for this opportunity to provide you with an update on the status of Laguna Honda as it relates to CMS recertification. Just give me a few seconds to pull up the PowerPoint. Ready, Mr. Pickens. Okay. Okay. So again, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, we'll start. I'd uh, like to share with you an update on some of our key leadership hires. We have uh, onboarded our two new directors of nursing. Um, we have Ms. Tracy Brown joining us and Mr. Michael Collins, who have joined us. Uh, each of them will be the directors of nursing for uh, one of the two respective patient care towers at Laguna. You'll recall that we piloted this uh, dual director of nursing uh, structure as part of the early recommendations from the consultants in terms of improving uh, oversight of nursing operations at Laguna and have now made this um, the uh, permanent structure with the recruitment of these two individuals. Uh, both of them come uh, with... Um, Tremendous amount of experience in skilled nursing. Uh, Ms. Brown uh, uh, worked her way up from being a nursing assistant to licensed vocational nurse to registered nurse. Uh, she's also a certified wound care nurse, which is really important at Laguna, given um, uh, the um, prevalence of wounds within skilled nursing facilities. Uh, she also served previously as a surveyor for the California Department of Public Health, so she's steeped in regulatory oversight of nursing operations. We also have Mr. Michael Collins, uh, a uh, highly experienced long-term care um, nurse administrator who spent much of his career in the United States Army and since coming out of the Army has been uh, in skilled nursing uh, leadership positions. Uh, so they started with us last week. Uh, they are continuing their onboarding required trainings, uh, epic learnings, and uh, we expect them to uh, what we call hit the floor next week and begin to really immerse themselves uh, in oversight of operations. Uh, Terry Dintoni, who has been the acting 
uh, chief nursing officer uh, at Laguna, uh, will uh, transition into a support role similar to myself and others in incident command for the next few months and to be there to uh, help do a thoughtful handoff to these two nursing leaders so that we don't lose any of the momentum we've gained over the last several months. I'd also like to update you on the status of our uh, Laguna Honda Chief Medical Officer recruitment. Uh, that recruitment has been underway for almost a year now. Uh, we uh, have gone through a very competitive process and are in the final stages of um, uh, offering a position uh, and hope to be able to solidify that within the next several days or weeks. Uh, so just wanted to give you an update on the status of that position as well. Next slide. In terms of our recertification journey, uh, you recall that we uh, received our Medicaid recertification uh, back uh, at the end of uh, July. And accordingly, due to that progress, uh, we were directed by CMS to uh, submit a change of information application, which would allow Laguna to pursue our Medicare recertification survey. That was on uh, August uh, 23rd. Uh, we then received a clarifying direction from CMS and submitted an actual brand new application for Medicare provider status. Uh, that was done on, done on September 15th, and we are now then in the window awaiting the actual uh, survey process to ensue. Um, so therefore, uh, any day now, we're expecting teams from CMS and California Department of Public Health to come and actually conduct the Medicare uh, provider certification survey. And uh, when we do receive that notice, we'll make sure that the commission uh, is uh, made aware of their presence. Next slide. Uh, as we reported to the Laguna Honda JCC, um, we, um, in preparation for our Medicare survey, uh, took a 30-day pause in our um, submission of our milestones um, that were related to the previous surveys that have ensued since December of last year um, so that staff could um, be freed up to really focus on the Medicare survey preparation and not have dueling competing priorities. Uh, since that survey has not come yet, we actually thought we would have received that Medicare survey by now. Since it hasn't, we are going to resume our work on the milestones uh, as we are required to complete those milestones uh, as part of our improvement work. Uh, there are a total of 119 milestones that remain uh, in progress uh, that have dates of completion between today and the last one, uh, final date of November 3rd. So those um, uh, are expected to be completed by November 3rd. Uh, and upon doing that, we will have completed over 960 milestones since January of this year, all related to findings from the initial root cause analysis, uh, the 90-day monitoring surveys, and the Medicaid survey. So again, a lot of work by the staff at Laguna over the last um, 18 months, but particularly the last uh, uh, seven months. Our next slide. Uh, we've previously reported, uh, you'll recall back in March of this year, we were directed uh, by um, 
CMS and the Department of Health Services to move forward with discharging residents who no longer had skilled nursing level of care needs at Laguna. Uh, we started that process in April. These are individuals who, when they first came to Laguna Honda, uh, actually had skilled nursing uh, level needs, but by virtue of the care they received at Laguna, their status improved to the point uh, where they no longer meet the requirements uh, for reimbursement for skilled nursing care. Since April, we have discharged a total of 15 residents who no longer had that level of care. Um, the majority of those residents have transitioned to uh, community-based services like board and care homes uh, or um, uh, supportive housing. A few residents have actually gone back home. And so currently there are an additional 10 residents who no longer have skilled needs who are on the priority list, meaning that they are close uh, to a potential discharge within the next month or so. And so we will keep you updated on the progress uh, of any of those additional uh, as those come through in the process. And uh, as I said, I'll close by saying we are remaining vigilant, knowing that we can expect uh, surveyors to walk in any day now. Uh, we've taken a number of steps to um, uh, ensure our daily readiness for survey uh, and uh, we'll continue that process. And so I'm happy to uh, take any questions you have. And I'm joined remotely by Sandra Simon, our nursing home administrator and CEO, along with other members of the leadership staff. And we can hopefully address any comments or questions that you have for us today. Well, thank you for the report. And we're delighted that hopefully we're on the home stretch here and that you have assembled such a fine leadership team. Thank you so much. Is there any public comment on the item? There are. I see two hands. Um, Seuss, please uh, unmute caller two and then caller three. Caller, please let us know that you're there. I, I am. It's Patrick again. Yeah, you've got three minutes, Mr. Manetshaw. Thank you. It was concerning on slide five about residents who no longer need skilled nursing facility level of care. Uh, didn't indicate how many residents like that story made at Laguna Honda. However, Mr. Pickens says you have discharged 16 and there's only 10 left, but that only adds up to 26. And initially I thought they had identified something like 38, discharged a handful of them, then the identified several more. And so it doesn't appear that the numbers add up and that all of the people identified is no longer needing skilled care have been accounted for. You received that warning from CMS um, eight months ago. So it's disappointing this still hasn't been fully accomplished. More worrisome. Mr. Pickens hasn't presented an update to the, quote, LHH path to CMS recertification, end quote, Gantt chart timeline, showing in the upper third of the chart the survey readiness since the July 11th executive team report at the JCC. On July 11th, that chart reported a fourth 
90-day monitoring survey was anticipated by mid-September. But if you haven't had the initial uh, recertification survey, it would seem reasonable that that 90-day fourth monitoring survey should still be conducted. More concerning, Laguna Honda uh, appears to have stopped producing the root cause analysis reports when additional survey deficiencies are identified during CDPH uh, complaint survey inspections and you stop producing the monthly monitoring reports due by the 10th of each month. Does that mean that the entire Laguna Honda Settlement Agreement has formally ended? If it has, you need to be honest with the public and let us know whether we're still under the uh, threat of that uh, settlement agreement or whether it's been completely resolved. Thank you. All right, Seuss, please unmute the next caller. Oh, hi, uh, this is Dr. Palmer. Um, I may be repeating some previous questions, but according uh, to presentations by Dr. Pickens in the past, there have been at least 45 people uh, waiting for placement outside of Laguna Honda who no longer needed nursing home care. Uh, you said 10 have been, 15 have been discharged and 10 are imminently discharged. And so what happened to um, the other 20? And um, uh, why aren't there enough services to uh, safely uh, place them in San Francisco? Um, my other question uh, is, is, has CDPH uh, caught, either caught up with um, the complaints it's never investigated or informed you that um, they were not sustainable or not current? Um, I'd like to, uh, those gray areas uh, where CDPH uh, never showed up uh, is disturbing. Um, the, uh, and the third thing is, um, I would like to hear more about how uh, the admissions criteria and the um, chief medical officer and the medical staff will be supported in not admitting behaviorally inappropriate people from San Francisco General um, to either jeopardize themselves or others at Laguna Honda. Um, there will be huge economic and political pressure to do this. Uh, someone needs to mute. There's a lot of background noise. And, um, and so, um, please hold my time. Someone needs to mute. Okay. Um, it seems like there's going to be a huge amount of economic and political pressure um, uh, to uh, take in people from San Francisco General who can't really be handled safety at, safely at Laguna Honda uh, because they should not be discharged to the street or to uh, places like medical respite where there are inadequate health care services. And this needs to be fixed in the city, not at Laguna Honda. Um, thank you very much. 
That is the last comment for this item. Well, thank you for your comments. Are there any questions or comments from the commissioners? Commissioner Gerardo. Just have uh, one um, question on your on the discharge. Are you finding it challenging? I'm sure. Um, what is the radius that you're able to um, send these folks to? Is it within state, within Bay Area? Great question. Uh, so it varies. It depends. We always, for individuals who are San Francisco residents, will always try to keep an individual within San Francisco. Uh, some of the individuals, uh, for example, one of the individuals will be relocating to uh, another to the another state, and are, are awaiting arrangements uh, at the home where they're going to, for example, to have. Uh, durable medical equipment installed in order to facilitate their ability to be at home. Uh, but for residents in San Francisco, uh, we uh, do everything we can to uh, keep them in San Francisco and have been successful uh, th th thus far. Uh, to my knowledge, no one who um, uh, wanted to stay in San Francisco uh, has had to go somewhere else they did not want to go. But it, it is challenging. Uh, as I mentioned, most of the residents in this category typically are in need of a board and care home. Yeah. We know the experienced board and care beds have disappeared from the San Francisco landscape. You've heard that here at the commission for years. Uh, but despite that, we continue to have success, not as quickly as we like, because we're competing with every other system in town for those limited beds. Uh, so we feel fortunate that we've been able to have the 15 discharges that we have, given uh, the unique care needs of individuals at Laguna, so while they may not have skill needs, uh, many of them do have needs. They just don't rise to the level that uh, CMS requires uh, for reimbursement for skill needs. Uh, but be assured, we, we make sure we do safe discharges. No one will be discharged uh, at Laguna unless there's a, a safe uh, and appropriate discharge destination. And so that's why it takes a while uh, when you put all those factors together, it's not as easy as flipping the switch saying all of these individuals have to be gone next week because we don't just throw people out. We do our due diligence to make sure they're being cared for at the appropriate level in a safe and effective manner. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. I just knew how difficult it was. So uh, I applaud you for <laughs> your continued efforts. So thank you very much. Uh, one, I guess I have one question. Can you clarify the numbers for us? Because I also kind sure. of remember we had more sure. individuals. So 15 have been discharged thus far. There are 10 on the priority list. Mm -hmm. In total, there are 75. So 75 minus 10. And the reason we're saying 10 priority, as you can imagine, given what I just said, the dearth of available beds, uh, it's impossible to focus on all 75 at the same time. That had been the tactic previously, and so our rate of discharge was slow. So in consultation with California Department of Public Health, CMS, uh, the decision was made, well, let's focus on the low-hanging fruit. Identify 10 or so, let everybody, including them, they're also assisting us in trying to find placements for these individuals. So that is the focus. So there are a total of 75, 10 who are priority, who currently meet, do not meet skilled nursing level of care. And remember, that's a fluid number. An individual's level of care can change. If they, for example, 
get an infection and have to be transferred to acute care, well then, for a period of time, they're no longer non-SNF. Uh, they then meet a criteria. So this is a fluid. So some, the numbers often change on a weekly or monthly basis. But right now, as of October 16th was the date of the last report, there are a total of 75. Thank you so much. That clarification is really helpful and important. And can you comment about kind of the collaboration between the CDPH and Laguna in terms of these placements? We, I remember when we were forced to discharge individuals, and that certainly was a, a stressful, contentious period. Is this a more collaborative effort? And, and there's a certain understanding of the barriers because there certainly wasn't necessarily as clear-cut understanding of the availability of SNF beds when we were in that situation a year ago. Absolutely. It, it is a much more collaborative process this time around than it was during the, that frenzy time of last summer where we had those initial discharges. Uh, the collaboration really starts internally in San Francisco. We work most closely with the placement team from our own DPH Behavioral Health Services. You'll recall we used to have what was called the Transitions Division within the network. Kelly Hiramoto previously oversaw that group. Uh, and uh, Luis Calderon is one of the senior leaders who actually um, maintain uh, many of the beds that DPH pays for for board and care homes. That group transferred to when we restructured the network and Dr. Kunins was hired, that group now sits in behavioral health services. However, due to the situation at Laguna, they are actively uh, de deployed at Laguna to help find board and care and other levels of care uh, for those Laguna residents. In addition, we have the City Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. They come on site along with the Department uh, with the Human Services Agency and Department of Aging. They're all on site at Laguna working collaboratively to find um, community-based uh, options for those individuals. Then we also uh, partner with CDPH and the Department of Healthcare Services uh, for individuals for whom we can't find placements in, in San Francisco. We rely upon them to uh, help identify placements outside of the San Francisco uh, area. Well, thank you so much. It's clearly really complex. And I think we also really appreciate that the staff at Laguna is doing such a great job of maintaining the momentum. So we're going to expect very positive results from the next survey. If, if please, they will show up soon. So thank you. Thank you so much for the presentation. You're welcome. The uh, next item on the agenda is the Joint Conference Committee and other committee reports. And we have a report from Laguna Honda JCC with Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you, President Green. Um, at the October 10th Laguna Honda Hospital JCC meeting, uh, the committee reviewed the recertification update and uh, executive team update, similar to what you uh, just witnessed. Uh, the committee also discussed a presentation from Laguna Honda Behavioral Health from the Laguna Honda Behavioral Health Improvement Project. Um, this work began due to the high percentage of Laguna Honda residents with complex neurological and behavioral health issues. Um, something that we've been hearing about um, over the last few years. These um, three work groups have been created to address the situation. Teams are working on identifying staff training needs and working with consultants to explore models with focused units for residents with complex behavioral health needs. Uh, Laguna Honda will pilot a six-person unit to determine the next steps. 
the hospital is also increasing its use of the pet robot project for residents with dementia. Uh, and uh, also just a reminder that the Laguna Honda admissions policy uh, that the commission recently uh, approved excludes individuals whose behavioral health issues are not appropriate uh, for skilled nursing level of care. Uh, we also uh, reviewed the human resources and regulatory affairs report uh, and um, uh, recommended the uh, uh, policies which will come before uh, the co uh, commission in the consent calendar. Uh, and then in closed session, the committee approved the credentials report and the PIPs minute report. That's the end of my report. Wonderful. Thank you for that report. Are there any public comments? Yes, uh, I see a hand. Um, Sus, please unmute the caller. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mr. Morowitz. Are you there? Yes, you've got three minutes, Mr. Manetshaw. Thank you. I know with interest that Commissioner Guillermo didn't mention that on October 3rd, I testified that Mr. Pickens had indicated resuming admissions to Laguna Honda is being delayed because of a shortage in activity therapists and food service handlers. That was concerning because Laguna Honda's patient census is 226 fewer patients than in December 2021 before Laguna Honda was decertified. The vacancy reports by FTE show Laguna Honda has 2.5 fewer food service worker vacancies across various job classification codes in October of this year than it did in December of 2021. So, so you have fewer vacancies now. There were eight food service workers vacancies in December 2021, and now you only have 5.5 food service worker vacancies uh, for 2.5 fewer. Laguna Honda has, now has only six more vacancies in activity therapists in job classification codes 2586, 2587, and 2588 than it did in December, but you have 226 fewer residents. There were 11 activity therapy vacancies in 2021 and only 17 now with those 226 fewer patients. It is good hearing, however, that Laguna Honda's new medical director will be hired and onboarded soon. That has been painfully way too overdue. Thank you. Thank you. And Sus, please, uh, oh, caller, there's another caller with a hand. I want to make sure we give that person a chance to raise their hand again. I see no hand now. Any commissioner questions or comments on the report? Hearing none, we will go to the next item, which is our consent calendar. And as Commissioner Guillermo has said, we reviewed 34 policies um, uh, at the JCC at the Laguna Honda meeting and recommended that uh, all policies be approved by the commission at large. 
So is there any um, public comment on the consent calendar? Uh, folks, we are on item eight, the consent calendar. If you'd like to make comment, please press star three. I see no hands. Right. Then uh, is there a motion to approve the items on the consent calendar? So moved. Second. And I guess I already asked for public comment, but I would just say I'd like to thank the members of the staff at Laguna for answering a lot of the very detailed questions. You know, we feel it's our role as commissioners to really review everything. You put in a great deal of effort to write these and we try to do our share to um, review them and, and uh, approve them. So they've been, I think, very thoughtfully looked at. I think they're excellent policies. And with that in mind, I'm all in favor to approve the consent calendar. Please say aye. 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 And, uh, and Dr. Chow, please let us know your vote. Uh, yes, aye. All right, thank you. Right. So the next item on our agenda is the Office of Compliance and Privacy Affairs Annual Report. Maggie Rakowski will present that along with the annual compliance training item on our agenda. Welcome, nice to see you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I'll be giving the um, OCPA report today. And I do want to let you know that um, in addition to the work that I've been doing with OCPA, I have also been doing a lot of work at Laguna Honda with their, helping them with the recertification efforts. Um, so I was kind of doing dual duty. So if there are any questions on the report that I'm not able to answer, I'll make sure to get the answer for you. Thank you. And Kenya, please pull up the PowerPoint for this item. We're going to do the training first. Okay. Oh, so um, actually, yes, thank you. Hey, so this is the annual report. This is for fiscal year 22-23 from July 1, 2022 to June 30th, 2023. So these are the area of responsibilities for OCPA, privacy, compliance, um, data sharing, and investigations. Next slide, please. And this was just in a, a short executive summary of some of the highlights. Um, that um, were conducted in that fiscal year. Um, next slide, please. And this is the organizational chart just to give you an idea where OCPA stands. We report to uh, Greg Wagner um, in operations. Next slide, please. And this is an OCPA organizational chart just to give you an idea of our department. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, so now I'm going to go on to the compliance program. And, you know, the compliance program, we want to assure that DPH and its workforce conduct themselves um, and all of our operations and activities with the highest level of integrity and compliance with regulatory requirements. We do a tremendous amount of auditing, both internal auditing and external auditing, to ensure that we are um, billing correctly. So in when, there, when, we notif when we notice or if an external auditor will notice that there was a billing that was incorrect, 
then we will have a disallowance, or I refer to it as a payback, because we are going to return the funds, because you cannot falsely bill the government. So um, disallowances for um, that fiscal year 22-23, DPH returned 1.2 million in disallowed claims as a result of external audits. And this amount was primarily from the Department of Healthcare Services audits for public hospital programs that um, resumed since the, pub the COVID-19 public health emergency. Um, want you to know that it wasn't all in that fiscal year. Um, they did, the, the DHCS suspended their audits for actually two years during the public health emergency, then they started catching up. So when you do see the 1.2 million, it wasn't 1.2 million in, a, in one year, but it was just the catch up. Um, and those were um, for non-qualifying stays. And so the did not meet uh, program criteria. Um, and usually it was because of deficient or insufficient documentation. Um, when we do have disallowances, we work very closely to ensure that we can correct um, so that we don't have further um, disallowances. Um, and you know, so we, we really do take this very seriously, but we do, ought, we you know, very judiciously audit because we wanna ensure that whatever we're billing um, the government that it is correct. Um, on a good note, DPH paid no compliance related penalties to regulators um, in that fiscal year. Um, next slide, please. And so this is just a year-to-year -year comparison. Um, so, and, and again, the decline of the prior fiscal years, if you look at um, 19 and 20 and 20 and 21, it's lower because, and that was due to the public health emergency, they really were not doing many audits. We we did some audits with OCPA remotely, but regu the regulators did not do any audits. Then when they resumed their audits in 21, 22, you can see there was a huge spike and now it's kind of tapering off. So we're gonna continue. And so our hope is as we go on for the fiscal year that we're currently in, we're hoping that we're gonna see that go way down. Next slide, please. Um, and every year we do a risk assessment. Um, and, and this is just kind of looking at areas that we think that we need to pay attention to. Um, and so these were from the risk assessment um, for ZSFG Laguna Honda and um, for, uh, mostly for uh, ZSFG and Laguna Honda. Our population health, that's a new program. We um, actually have just started that up. Um, as a um, compliance and privacy program. So we'll have a risk assessment. They're actually doing that now in the current fiscal year that we're in. But for Laguna Honda, these were the areas that were that we really looked at. I, I, I'm sorry, ZSFG was the cataract surgery review. And it was just coding. And this was something Noridian, Medicare, um, C, uh, CMS rather, they were really being, paying a lot of focus to, to cataract the coding for cataract surgeries. So we paid attention to that. The observation services and the two midnight rule where you have to have two midnights, you have to have the presumption that you're, the patient is gonna stay two midnights um, for the observation. And so we were always pay close attention because that's another thing that is audited quite a bit and then our documentation and coding. For Laguna Honda, it was the advanced beneficiary notice of non-coverage and MDS um, and make, making sure that that was all in place. And as I said, our population health will be having some that on our next uh, report. Next slide, please. 
And so for behavioral health, um, the behavioral health services, we, um, this is for the mental health plan and the behavioral health services that compliance program is tasked with ensuring mental health plan documentation and integrity of the services provided by our, um, uh, our contracted and civil service providers is correct. And we audit quite a bit because we, if we have over a 5% audit rate, um, we require the, the provider to do a corrective action plan and we're very closely monitored. And we also withhold payment um, because they, they need to, they need to, doc, it's usually documentation. And so they need to ensure that they're documenting appropriately and so that um, everything is all set with the claim. And so as, as, you, as you can see, um, uh, we did a total of the 27 clinics. There were 27 of our clinics that had an error rate of over 5%. And as I said, we do a corrective action and a monitoring plan. And just note that in quarter four, there, there were no audits completed uh, for two reasons. One is we needed to um, ensure that we review, re revised our audit tool for the new CalAIM requirements. And we also had due to retirement and some promotional activities, we lost actually several auditors at one time. And so, but those are now starting up again. Okay, on next slide, please. And this is just a comparison um, of, our, of our error rates. Um, we're slowly getting it down. Uh, we're gonna, we're continuing to work on that. Okay, next slide, please. And some of our compliance mitigation efforts, um, we do issue, this is called a compliance and privacy matters. We issue this every other month and we'll take a topic and usually on this, it's one topic that it's, we really wanna make sure that it's a good reminder for staff. Um, like November, in November, we're, we'll have it on gifts. That's always a really big topic for the holidays. And so we'll send out making sure that everyone knows what the responsibilities and the restrictions are on gifts. Um, but this is one of our um, educational uh, modalities that we use for staff. Okay, next slide, please. And then our privacy program. Um, I'm pleased to say that during fiscal year 22-23, we had no um, uh, privacy-related uh, fines for breaches. Okay, next slide, please. Okay, so on this slide here, we'll show is that we have uh, our privacy incidents and um, our total incidents, and we have um, our non-reportable incidents and reportable breaches. Um, a reportable breach is a breach that is an incident that actually meets the criteria to report. It would be something as um, somebody posts a video or a picture of a patient on social media. Um, that is, we've lost control of that PHI. Um, if somebody loses um, a paperwork with patient information on it um, and it's not retrieved, that's a reportable breach. A non-reportable breach would be where it's more tightly controlled. Say a DPH staff member sends an email that has some PHI to another DPH staff member and we're very quickly able to have that double deleted and we're very convinced that it hasn't gone out anywhere. That would be an incident. Um, and so our um, incidents, we have ZSFG, 
you know, had a total incidence of 74 with 11 uh, reportable breaches. Laguna Honda had 45 with five reportable. Behavioral Health had 31 with six uh, reportable. And our other DPH, and those are our clinics, um, a lot of our clinics, and that's 17 with seven reportable. And our CBOs had 12 um, with four reportable. And so we take these, you know, we, we do a lot of training. Um, and when we have these, especially the reportable breaches, we really do a lot of training. We'll actually do on-site training with the staff. Um, we'll make sure that they really understand, um, you know, how they need to handle PHI. Okay, next slide, please. Um, and this is just a comparison from fiscal years. And as you can see, the report of our, the number of reportable breaches really hasn't changed. I mean, they're pretty constant year after year. And so that's one thing that we're continuing to work on. Um, next slide, please. And this is our privacy pulse. This is one of our, um, this deals just with privacy. We um, issue this every um, two months. Um, this we started in 2012 when we started the privacy program at San Francisco General. Um, and we've been um, issuing it ever since. And it's a very popular, you know, I, I still walk around and I see them posted. And so we do take timely topics. We look at what were some of the breaches or the incidents that we had for that time period, and we'll highlight them here just as a reminder for staff. Okay, next slide, please. And so data sharing, um, you know, OCP, we manage and oversee the data sharing program for DPH um, as part of our privacy program. And this is, we make sure that we have data sharing agreements in place so that any data that we share is done correctly and that we have controls in place. We um, will work very closely with IT, with the city attorney's office, and with other entities to make sure that, and contracts, to make sure that we have everything in place. We have a data sharing agreement in place. We have a business associate agreement in place so that we, that our contractors or anyone who we're sharing that data with know what their responsibilities are when they're handling DPH data. Next slide, please. And this is our privacy and compliance training. We do do annual training. Um, uh, and this is a mandatory training. It's two parts. Part one is the module where you actually have the, the, actually have the training slides. And part two is a review and electronic signature of the code of conduct and our um, confidentiality statement. And staff need to complete both part one and part two to have their to have their privacy training privacy training and privacy and compliance training completed. One thing we did last year, you know, we really started looking when when there's a privacy or compliance incident and we get reviewed um, or, or or a surveyor would come in and we or we have to provide information say either to CDPH, uh, DHCS or the Office of Civil Rights, they always ask about privacy training and compliance training. How are you training? Has this individual been trained? Show me that the person has been trained. And you know, our compliance, our compliance wasn't very good. And so what we did, we decided, you know, if, if staff wanna have access to our systems, they need to be trained and they need to look at the code of conduct and sign that they read the code of conduct and look at the data sharing agreement and sign that uh, the um, uh, confidentiality statement and sign that they uh, read that confidentiality statement. So we said, you don't do your training, we're gonna cut you off for systems. We're gonna suspend your access. 
Uh, next slide, please. It, it worked. We had a 90, I'm thinking it's 99, I can't see that. I think it's 98 or 99. 98%. 98% compliance rate. Um, and I mean, so it worked, you know, and people, and it, it was, you know, um, it, and we're doing that again this year. It's like, look, you just take your training because it's, it's not hard training. It's not long training. You can do it in, in pieces. And so, um, but it worked. And so, you know, we're very confident that staff that are accessing our systems, they've been trained. Um, next slide, please. And our whistleblower program, we work very closely with the office, um, the controller's office. Um, when they, they get complaints or that, that come to them and they're DPH related, the majority are sent to OCPA to investigate and we do a thorough investigation. Um, we will um, in, investigate and then we will write a report that we submit to the controller's office, either if it's substantiated, if it is substan if the allegations are substantiated, we do corrective action. If they're unsubstanti unsubstantiated, then we close the case. Uh, the controller's office referred 73 complaints to DPH between July 1, 2022 and June 30th of 2023. Um, DPH does receive the highest number of complaints um, in the city, but remember we're the largest city department and we also have a workforce that's very used to reporting when they see something wrong. You know, we're, since we're so regulatory driven, driven, we, you know, really work with staff and say, if you see something, say something, please bring it to our attention, err on the side of caution, we'll investigate. Um, and we also investigated 10 complaints that were filed directly with um, OCPA. So we have a hotline. And just wanna let you know on the whistleblower program, other information, this is the information that we are allowed to share. The controller's office is very, very tight with information that, that can be shared on the whistleblower program. They do put out a quarterly report and the information that's on this slide is what was on the quarterly report um, for the, that went from July 1, 2022 to June 30th with the quarterly reports all combined. Okay, next slide, please. And our hotline, um, we um, do maintain a hotline. This hotline um, is for various reasons people can call. We do a lot of consultation. People will call and say, gee, I'm not sure about this, or can I do this? Is this a conflict of interest, et cetera? So we do a lot of consultation. We have people calling to report wrongdoing or per uh, perceived wrongdoing. Um, we, during the fiscal year 22-23, we received 1,022 calls. And a lot of that had to do with the training, a lot of that portion had to do with the training, because as you can see, there was a pretty big jump from the other fiscal years. Um, but uh, a lot of people were panicking because they were, you know, about, hey, you're going to get your your access, you know, uh, suspended. And so we had a lot of calls. So the hotline was very busy. Next slide, please. And so that's the end of my report. And if you have any questions, I'll be happy to um, entertain them. Well, thank you for that report. This is obviously wide ranging, complicated, and very critical to the function of our department. And thank, thank you and your staff for this fine work. Is there any public comment on this item? I don't see a hand. Uh, folks on who are watching, we're on item nine. If you'd like to make a comment, please press star three. I see no hands. And what about commissioner questions or comments? Okay. I see Dr. Chow's hand. We'll start with him. Uh, Thank you. I was just wondering, as you were uh, going through the uh, areas for compliance, whether uh, there was uh, a need to then uh, 
also have audits uh, on the primary care clinics in terms of either their diagnoses or billing practices, or is it not really a problem there? The, the, we, we do, that's part of the compliance program, and so we do auditing on the clinics. We currently do the clinics. Uh, okay. we, started out, we started that out, as I said, you know, we just started a population health and ambulatory care compliance program. That's in place right now. Um, that's new. Um, we just we hired a compliance and privacy officer for that area, and so he is already starting to do audits. So we'll have in the next report, we'll be able to report on the, the status of those audits. But that, that is being done now. Um, so uh, yeah, because it wasn't it, it wasn't part of your uh, your chart. That's why I was just wondering. Oh yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, be good to then add that also. Thanks. Yes, yes, it, w it will be added. It will be added because that's a new program. Okay, great. Thanks, uh, Commissioner Christian. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Really interesting. Uh, it may be slide number nine. It is the slide on behavioral health services mental health plan. And it uh, talks about an FY22-23 uh, BHS compliance conducted 43 MH slash SUD clinic audits. And in total, 27 of the clinics had an error rate of over 5%. Can you talk about the kind of errors are being documented here? Most of the errors had to do with documentation, that the documentation did not support um, what they were billing. So, so it didn't support the coding, it was documentation. And so we actually work, we work very closely with them on documentation. But that, that's what the majority of was, documentation. That documentation did not support. And uh, maybe this is not a, a useful question. Is, was there any relationship, but I'll ask it anyway. Is there any relationship between the error encoding and overbilling or anything like that? Well, there, we catch it before it's billed. So, so we're doing, we do the auditing and we, you know, we're auditing and we, when we find these errors rate, because we, we don't want to, we don't want to miss bill. Mm -hmm. And so, but if we do find that there's an error rate, then we don't pay. And if we do bill and we do an audit and we find that it was, um, that it's disallowed, then the, they, they need to, they have to pay us back. So, so we get the pay, we get the payback from the contractor, from the CBO. And, um, and so looking at the numbers, uh, number of clinics with over a 5% error rate, um, relatively speaking, based on your experience, are these numbers high or are they low? Um, they're, they're slightly going down. Now, you know, they're still high. I mean, they're still, they need to be lower, but, but they are slightly going down. And, and we are, as I said, we work very closely with them. Um, when we do find these errors, that we do work with the providers and they have to do a corrective action plan and we monitor. And so when they have errors, then we, they're flagged for monitoring. But we, we do corrective action plans. Thank you. And then looking at the last slide before thank you regarding the hotline. Oh, yes. And so who can use this hotline? Do you need to be a DPH employee to no. call? Anybody. Anybody can use it. Anybody can use it. So, I mean, people, we do have, sometimes people will um, call and report some perceived maybe wrong, that what they say, I want to report, I saw whatever, um, and can you look into it? So, yes, anyone can use it. We get, we get, calls from public um, 
that, you know, say that I don't, you know, this happened to me or I didn't, you know, whatever. I mean, there's, there's a variety of things, but people from all over call. It's not just, it's not just employees. Okay. Thank you for answering the questions and thank you for the presentation. Commissioner Germa. Thank you and thank you for your report. I know that uh, auditing and compliance is a thankless job most of the time. Uh, and we rarely uh, understand how important it is uh, to the overall functioning and ongoing integrity uh, of the uh, services that we provide and to our ability uh, to bring revenue, appropriate revenue uh, to the department and to the city. So thank you very much for all the work that you do in addition to the report. Um, I, I did have a question about the privacy um, uh, uh, report incidents. How is how is it or is it not related to the surveyors or the survey uh, reports that uh, or the surveys that happen at the different facilities by CDPH or by CMS? So, for instance, if there's a privacy uh, issue that is either anonymously uh, complained to the state, is that something that gets captured? It, it, would, be, here? it would be captured, right? So, if if there's a if there's a privacy issue that someone contacts, um, say, for example, CDPH. Someone would contact CDPH and say, oh, we have this alleged privacy incident at Laguna Honda. And so then CDPH would come with the privacy program, because I have a privacy officer at Laguna Honda. We have privacy officers at the hospitals and, and for um, the clinics um, would then investigate, and then that would be captured. And th then if, if it was substantiated, then it's reportable then it would be a reportable. If it's not substantiated, then, then it's an incident. And, and have you noticed since uh, the efforts, at, uh, particularly at Laguna Honda, but uh, I guess throughout the network, uh, around um, being much more diligent, you know, on uh, reporting, you know, sort of internal reporting, have you seen? Well, you know, I, I, th I think so. I mean, I think all the way around. I mean, I think staffing, you know, we do, um, a tremendous amount of rounding. All, all the executive staff do rounding. And for example, I round every single day. Um, and I, you know, ask questions. If I see, if I see a computer monitor that has a patient chart open and no one's around, I point that out. Um, you know, I mean, so, and all of the executive staff, when they round, they're looking for things like that. Um, we also um, have noticed that staff are more diligent. You know, I mean, I think some of this, and because I think when I started rounding, I noticed now I used to, you know, would maybe see paper with patient information just kind of maybe sitting at the nurse's station. Now it's got a cover on it. So, I mean, I think staff are much more aware. And we also do at, well, we've done this both at ZSFG and at Laguna, but in addition to our, uh, training module, we also do in-person training, especially for our like food service staff, um, environmental, mm -hmm. environmental health staff, our environment and care staff, staff that where English may not be their first language. Um, we do in-person training so that everybody can be trained. But I, I think there is a very, real heightened awareness for both privacy and compliance. That's good to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, last, I just want to thank you, Maggie, for oh. all the work that you've done uh, at Laguna Honda, both in your current capacity in terms of recertification and in the past in your interim role. Uh, so and so it shows you're, uh, we're really lucky, I guess, to have had you.
uh, in those roles and in your current role. And thank you again for all of the work. Yes, thank, thank you so much. And um, I think the uh, compliance training is and the percentage you've been able to achieve is quite remarkable. So we really appreciate that. So without uh, anything else, we will go back to our chief integrity officer to talk about the annual compliance training. And so this commissioners, my plan is um, usually I would do this first, but uh, but I'm going to do this. It's going to be very quick because it's a refresher. And I think if you saw in my annual report, you'll see how the concepts kind of all fell in. So um, why don't we go to the next slide, please? And so this is I'm just going to very briefly touch on these topics. Um, next slide, please. Um, you know, our, the mission of our compliance program is to ensure the integrity in DPH business and clinical operations. You know, we really want to make sure that we promote an understanding of and a compliance with all healthcare laws and regulations. Next slide, please. And so um, we, are, we operate um, in accordance with all state and federal standards and regulations. And our program follows the Office of Inspector General's recommended seven elements of an effective compliance program. Next slide, please. And these are the elements, and we have all of these incorporated into our compliance program. Um, next slide, please. Um, just um, and fraud, waste, and abuse. This is one thing that for a compliance and OCPA really pays a lot of attention to. Uh, federal and state government closely monitors for fraud, waste, and abuse to protect taxpayer dollars and fund patient care and population health services. So we, not only DPH, but our contracts, affiliates, anyone who is um, providing services on behalf of DPH, we need to make sure that they bill correctly and follow all regulations. Next slide, please. Um, just some healthcare uh, laws and regulations, the False Claims Act. This is a federal statute that sets out criminal and civil penalties for falsely billing the government. And so again, this is why we do our robust auditing. Um, and there's also the fraud enhancement, enhancement and, I'm sorry, fraud enforcement and recovery act. And that increases, that increased funding for federal agencies to combat financial fraud. So it actually gave a little bit more funding so they could combat fraud. Uh, next slide, please. And the Deficit Reduction Act, and this was enacted to strengthen Medicaid fraud and abuse enforcement. The law requires entities that make or receive annual Medicaid payments of $5 million or more to provide detailed information and written policies um, applicable to employees that address fraud, waste, and abuse. And we certainly do that. We have very robust policies um, on compliance and privacy. Next slide, please. Um, so our DPH code of conduct, we have a very robust DPH code of conduct. Our, it's around 20 pages, um, but it covers many of DPH's business practices and standards. It's, you know, just really our commitment to conduct business in compliance with all applicable laws and regulations. And it, it really addresses our behaviors that we would like our staff to follow. Okay, um, next slide, please. And so these are the, the um, topics that are... Um, that relate to our compliance um, that are in the code of conduct. And as I said, when we do our compliance and privacy training, the complete code of conduct um, is given to the employees and they need to sign that they read it and understand it, electronic sign, a signature. Next slide, please. Um, conflict of interest, this is very important and important policy to be aware of is conflicts of interest. The conflict of interest involves any circumstance where a city officer or employee has a, 
uh, personal financial interests that may improperly influence the performance of DPH duties. And this could be actual or perceived. And so, you know, we, you know, it could arrive from different scenarios, such as using work for your personal, using your position at work for your personal benefit, inappropriately accepting gifts. And that's why we always in November send out that, that notice on gifts and um, having unauthorized outside employment, anyone who has outside employment that must be authorized through um, the Department of Human Resources. And OCPA will review that to ensure that there's no conflict of interest. Um, next slide, please. Um, our statement of, statement of incompatible activities, the SIA, this is citywide um, every year. Um, all city departments need to distribute the SIA to their employees. And this, you know, um, lists activities that are considered to be incompatible with du duties as a city officer or employee. Do, oh, DPH goes one step further. We not only distribute it, we train on it. So we have a training module that's very short, but we do have a training module that all staff need to take the SIA training and then also sign that they received and reviewed the uh, statement of incompatible activities. Next slide, please. Um, and so kind of what are your responsibilities? You know, awareness um, of regulations governing provision of care and reimbursement of services. You know that, um, you know, monitor fiduciary duty and advisory oversight for DPH. Um, when I look at, you know, what the duties of, your, of a commissioner, you certainly fall into all of this um, uh, of, of, you know, your responsibilities as it is goes to with compliance and privacy, um, you know, through your JCC, you um, and your different committees, you definitely have an understanding of DPH operations. Next slide, please. Um, and, you know, it's, and this is recognizing reporting compliance concerns, um, duties of public officials and employees, you know, we need them to comply with laws, regulations, standards, and the code of conduct understand the scope of their practice, make sure that if they're licensed, that they're working within their scope, avoid actions or activities that may present a conflict of interest and or and if so, promptly disclose and actively participate in our training and different uh, and other compliance um, activities. Next slide, please. Um, a duty to report. All employees have a duty to report. If they see something, they need to report it. And so again, this is our hotline. This is our poster posted throughout DPH. Um, anyone can call the hotline if they notice something. And we always tell people, you know, staff, err on the side of caution. If you see something that doesn't look right, just report it because we'll look into it. Next slide, please. Um, and consequences of vi com compliance violations. Um, you know, all potential compliance violations will be thoroughly investigated by OCPA. Um, once the investigation is completed, we will take appropriate action if we need, if there's something that we need to resolve. Um, if it's unsubstantiated, then we'll just close the case. Um, and if, if needed, we work with HR and labor um, for progressive or corrective discipline. Uh, next slide, please. And so that is compliance in a nutshell. <laughs> Sorry if I went very too fast, but. Well, thank, thank you for covering all of that information in such an efficient and, and understandable I, I way. Within my time, right, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely did. Well, thank you.
Um, is there any public comment on this item? I don't see any hands. I'm just going to remind the public that we are on we are on item 10, and that you can press star three if you'd like to make comment. Going once, going twice. No public comment on this item. What about commissioner comments or questions? Commissioner Christian. I just want to say thank you so much for the presentation and the training. It was very effective and efficient, but it's also uh, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We're all saving this page. We're going to keep it. <laughs> Will not be recycled. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and if I can just uh, thank Maggie for her work and service. Her team is really um, so so. The team members she has are are excellent. I just wanted to note on the prior presentation there are a large number of vacancies, so she's managing that. She's also been instrumental in as she humbly mentioned um, in, in the Laguna Honda recertification effort where compliance was um, and continues and will continue to be so so important. And I think one thing about compliance is that it's working when you don't hear about it. So um, and that that's a job that we, those sorts of jobs we need to make sure that sort of leadership we need to make sure is highlighted and emphasized because it is so incredibly important for the department to in protecting the health and uh, uh, health of all San Franciscans. Thank you Thank so you. much for pointing that out. We much appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, the next item is the Community and, uh, and Public Health Committee update, Commissioner Gerardo. Thank you, President Green. <clears throat> we had two very interesting presentations um, this afternoon. The first was the Public Health Laboratory, that it was the first presentation to our committee, and we want more but um, it was fascinating. Um, the public health laboratory was first approved in 1953. And the goal is um, accurate, timely, and low cost lab testing to support diagnosis and prevention of communicable and non-communicable diseases. It is part of the national uh, lab network, as well as both local, state, and federal um, outreach it within what they do. Their their, what they do is the diagnostic testing, reference testing, surveillance, and monitoring, emergency response support, applied work research, and workforce development training. In 2022, they had 163,674 tests that um, they monitored. Uh, they have been recognized as a center of excellence. And we were all most fascinated by uh, their new testing equipment. And um, they will be moving to uh, Building 5 um, with a brand new lab and uh, promised that we would all be invited to uh, to see the new lab um, and to hear more about these fascinating machines. So we thought it was an excellent uh, presentation. The second presentation was uh, learning and innovation in uh, population health. And again, it was um, very informative and uh, we had, I think, a good exchange in with information as well. So learning and innovation is both as the internal workforce development 
and um, external capacity building assistance. And what the workforce priorities for 2022-27 are the PH WINS program, REAP, which is the equity. Um, and what I we really appreciated are listening sessions. That is part of what they their priority, as well as um, coordination with HR. Um, one of our concerns was within the department, they have a 27% vacancy rate for employees. And um, they have had a substantial hiring effort. There's always in all departments an issue of burnout and retention. And their turnover is about 7.2% which is um, which is actually down a little bit. Um, their goal is expanding capacity, strengthen capabilities, promote equity. Then um, we had a more a substantial explanation of the NIH grant for the summer HIV AIDS um, research program, the population health fellowship program, which is relatively new. It's a 10-month training program. And um, the CDC, um, Technical Assistance HIV Testing and PrEP, that they have been uh, disseminating. Um, what I was really a big fan of is their Learn SF program, where they have put together um, 121 learning courses for both internal and some to external. And they've had um, so far in the year 5,804 attendees. And um, they've done a remarkable job with um, a workforce that is is down. So it was, uh, it was very interesting. And we, like I said, had a very good informational exchange as well. So I don't know if my fellow commissioners want to add to either. Um, I, I, I'd like to add just one on each. Um, there were like one movie related um, items that they presented that they include. The first one um, was about um, the, the department um, and you know it's used um, for access. No, no, no. The first one, the first one was um, invasion of the body snatcher. Ah, okay, <laughs> that's right. And the second one is like with the. Um, um, they actually had a film that um, was accepted um, to the APA festival, and it is called the heart of heart of access, and um, and we were trying to ask if we could get a sneak preview of the um, of the film. And um, I think that yeah. we're going to get it. We are working on it. I also want to add my voice to the what a great presentation, what great presentations we had. And on the first one from the, the lab, folks, the uh, public health laboratory, um, you know, for, for both of these presentations, I, every time we hear from staff from the various parts of this 
enormous organization, I'm struck at the quality of people uh, and the expertise that we uh, that the department has, and it's, it was definitely on display today in our uh, committee. And talking about Cecilia's uh, uh, reference to the film from the uh, lab people, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I had no idea. I don't even think I've ever seen that film. I certainly know the title, but when strange seeds drift to earth from space, mysterious pods begin to grow and invade San Francisco, replicating the city's residents one body at a time. Filmed on the fourth floor of the population health uh, office, and um, and they gave us the link to the film, so it's something I'm going to be watching. But uh, also, just thinking, I, I wish I would have thought of this while they were here. But last year, when we were, you know, in the the midst of all the testing for COVID, and uh, and I noted that from the beginning, when testing became available. Toward the end, the uh, decreasing amount of time that it took to get the the test results was really impressive and, and and notable. And to see the presentation from the folks that are uh, responsible for so many things, but that as well was um, was really interesting. So uh, really much appreciation to them uh, uh, in that division. Well, that was a wonderful report, and it really is a testament to the quality of people, as you say, that we have at DPH, and what a terrific uh, presentation it sounds like you heard. Is there any public comment on this item? There's no one on the line, but I'd like to note that the film Bullet with Steve McQueen was filmed at ZSFG in the 70s, so those are the two films that were on that were filmed on DPH property. I move we have a film night at some point, <laughs> uh, a triple feature of some kind. Uh, and there's no public comment. All right, well, we would make that a public um, meeting then, because we would definitely have a quorum here if we did that for sure. All right, any other commissioner questions or comments? All right, great. Well, then we'll move to the next item, which is a motion to go into closed session. Is there, I, I, oh, I, oh, other business. I forgot it's on the bottom of the page. Other business, is there any other business? Hearing none, any public comment on other business? No, Hearing no none? Public comment. Okay, now we will go to a motion to close session. So moved. Second. Right. Any public comment on this? There's no one online. Great. Then we'll take a vote. Shall we go into public session? All in favor or private closed session. All in favor say aye. 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 Great. And if I can note um, for anyone who might be watching, we will not be seen or heard during closed session, but the commission will be back to adjourn the meeting at the end. And thank you for watching. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
um, consider a motion to disclose or not disclose discussions held in closed session. Motion I, not to disclose. Second. All in favor? Aye. And Dr. Chow? Aye. All right, thank you. And now consideration for adjournment. So moved to adjourn the meeting. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And, and Commissioner Chow? Aye. All right, thank you, everyone. Have a lovely thank evening. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, Commissioner Chow. Okay, thank you.